One of the most common things that you hear when people are challenged about going to church, why don't you go? Uh, you know, we hear that cliche, well, there's no one there but a bunch of hypocrites. They think they're so good. And I always get tickled when they say that. And they say, there's nothing there but a bunch of hypocrites. And I said, well, don't call them all that, but there are a bunch of hypocrites there. I said, there are all kinds of sinners there. You know, they're liars. People cuss too much. You know, people look at things they shouldn't be looking at on the Internet. I mean, there are all kinds of sinners in there. I said, but the biggest hypocrites are the ones who think they don't need to be there. Those are the biggest hypocrites. Why do we come? We don't come because we're saints. Although, by baptism, we become saints. That's our goal, obviously. But we come because we know we're not perfect. And we come to remind ourselves, and strictly, and, and, and because we want to become perfect, as our Heavenly Father is perfect. You know, does that all mean that we're going to become Mary who lived totally without sin? No, that doesn't mean that. But it means that when we come as part of our commitment to making ourselves a better person, a better Christian, and a better disciple. <clears throat> we come because precisely we know we need to. When my father was dying, and a few weeks before his death, <clears throat> I thought he had a little more time, but anyway, I'd flown down and spent Thanksgiving with him and my mother and my sisters. <clears throat> it would be the last time that we were ever together. We did a whole lot of talking. Uh, went with him to one of his doctor's appointments, and the doctor had... <clears throat> To be treated, he had some skin cancers. Because he had leukemia, which tear, tears up your immune system. And so he developed some very squamous cell cancers on his arms. And we had gone to that doctor. And my father said, is there anything else we can do about this? And the doctor just had a look on his face of why bother. You know, my father saw that. I saw it. My mother saw it. My father asked my mother and I to leave the room, and he had a chat with the doctor. We came back in. We went home. The next morning, I got up. My father had all of his many medications laid out on the dining room table. And I, he just said, Eddie, sit down. And he just kind of waved his hand. He said, no more. No more of this. It's time. No more. And I said, Dad, if you quit taking some of those, you're going to die quickly. And he, he looked at me and said, I didn't say I was going to commit suicide. <laughs> it's just, and, and then he said the words, why bother trying to fix everything when we can't fix the main thing? Thanksgiving came and went. We had a, a wonderful time, although it's always in the back of your mind. This is the last one. And, and by the way, the, when my father was diagnosed, uh, the day he got his diagnosis two days before Christmas, and he waited until the day, two days after Christmas, to tell us. And my mother said, why didn't you tell us before Christmas when you knew? He said, 
I didn't want to ruin Christmas for everybody. Father's very German, very practical. One of the chats I had with him was he had told my mother he did not want to have a mass. You know, he didn't want to have to go to the church. Well, my dad had, he had been gravely wounded by a priest at one point, something that happened, and it's neither here nor there. So it got to where he, he just couldn't bring himself to come to church. He made an agreement with my mother. He would be with her on Christmas and Easter, you know, maybe their anniversary. So it's not like he turned his back on the church. If you asked him what he was, he'd tell you, you he was a Catholic. If you attacked a Catholic church, back up, there's going to be a fight. But his, his thing was a personal thing. And so my mother thought that was part and parcel why he didn't want a mass for his funeral. So she said, would you go talk to your father? So I said, all right. So anyway, I went back to his bedroom and laid down on the bed beside him, and we chatted, and I said, Dad, Mom tells me you don't want a mass for your funeral. Oh, no, Eddie. And I said, and I explained, I said, Dad, the funeral's not for you. The funeral's for us. You know, the funeral's for the living. And, and Mom's going to need that. He said, I know, but it's just so blankety-blank expensive to have that hearse bring your body from the funeral home to the church. I don't want to see her spend that money. And I said, Dad, if you're worried about how much it costs, I'll bring my pickup truck, we'll throw you in the back, and I'll drive you to the cemetery. <laughs> he, he laughed, laughed terribly. But um, came to leave. He, he really couldn't quite walked to the door, so I went to the sunroom where he loved sitting, and he stood, and we embraced, and of course we both got a little teary, because I think both of us knew this is the last time, and unless I could really time it and get back, but he said something to me which just, it floored me, it, and it's haunted me. He just looked me in the eye, and he didn't say, I love you, or anything like that, German to say something like that. But he did look me in the eye and he said, Eddie, don't forget me. Of course, the first thing out of my mouth was, how in the world do you think I'm going to forget you? <laughs> you know, I mean, because we had joked about his personality all week and all that. And, and he laughed at that. And I said, Dad, I could no more forget you than I could forget that my toes are attached to my body. It can't happen. I said something else that I can't say in church. But, um, but that stuck with me. Eddie, please don't forget me. That's why we come here, to be in the presence of the body and blood of Christ. So we don't forget the Lord. And there's so many things in our lives that cause us to forget how important this is. We cannot experience the presence of Jesus Christ in his bodily form anywhere else in the world. Only at this table. We can experience Jesus anywhere, but not in his body, except here, either at Mass or in front of that tabernacle or at exposition, adoration. We come, yes, to give praise, but the most important thing is we come to remember. We come to remember that we are not perfect, that we have been asked 
to become like this person on this altar. And so we come to remember that and be challenged by that. Now, again, to embrace our central part of our faith, that this is the body and the blood of Christ, yes, that's kind of hard. Our scientific minds have a hard time with everything. But we know intellectually what we're saying, and we've got to explore that statement of faith. And we can't do it anywhere but in here at this altar. In the first reading, Moses had received the tablets. He came down the mountain. The people were worshiping a golden calf. How quickly they forgot. He destroyed the tablets, went back up the mountain, and God said how stiff-necked these people are, blah, blah, blah. He gave him more tablets. And this time Moses came down. And what's the first word? Remember. We haven't been out of Egypt a month, and you have forgotten. Actually, a little longer than that, but you've already forgotten God. Remember how for 40 years the Lord has directed all your journeying in the desert. Actually, it didn't happen there. It happened just as they were going into the promised land. Moses doubted God, so God told Moses he would not be going into the promised land. We worry about doubting God. Moses had his doubts. It was a consequence. But in the end, he was a man of faith. Remember how for 40 years. And then, in the next paragraph, do not forget the Lord your God. Like my father telling me, please don't forget me. Jesus had to say to these people, do not forget the Lord. You know, and so it becomes a question of how do we demonstrate to God that we do remember, we do know. There's a funny meme that I sent out. It's a very traditional piece of art. Jesus is sitting high on a bunch of rocks. It's the Sermon on the Mount. Everybody's down in front of him. He's got his fingers raised, you know, in that posture we see, uh, you know, in traditional art. <clears throat> and he's looking at all the people in front of him. And he says, to, in, in the meme, he says, listen carefully. I do not want four versions of this after I'm gone. Well, we do have four versions, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's a very funny meme. But we have those four Gospels so that we can remember. We pick them up, we read them, and we cannot say, I didn't know better. My faith could be better, my belief in these scriptures could be deeper, but we know what we've read. And, and there are reasons they are different because they're trying to teach very specific things. And just like a, a, a film writer will take a novel and he'll twist it and turn it to, you know, to, so they could tell the story in an you know, hour, 90 minutes or something, you know, the Gospels had to kind of jigger things around to, to tell the story they needed to tell. John is on the back end. They already knew, you know, they already had the other Gospels. They already knew the story of the life of Jesus. But John, John is now doing something different. He's, he's doing theology. He's telling them 
Why? Not out of because Jesus did it, but what is the implication? You know, what's going on here? So when we read John, who's writing sometime between 90 and 100 A.D., we are reading about the actual faith of the first and second generations of Christians because he takes that faith and he puts it into writing. And he's able to say, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, unless. His community has really fallen off. And so he's doing the same thing that Moses did. He's saying, you have forgotten. You need to remember, unless, unless you do this. Why? Because for my flesh is true food. And my blood, true drink. What does that word true mean? It's not a symbolic word. It's a word in Greek that means it is what I'm saying it is. Unless you eat my body and drink my blood. It is what I'm saying it is. It is my body. It is my blood. It's not a symbol. That is our deepest part and central part of our faith. Which today we're reminded, struggle with it. Challenge ourselves with it. But in order to do that, we have to be here. So that we won't forget so that we will remember.